chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. Last week, I had mentioned before the sermon that I was going to share some thoughts today about our country. What do, what is something that we need to focus on? And as I prayed about it and felt like the Lord gave me some words today, I want to share those with you. In these final chapters of Judges, they begin and they end with the bookend that make it very clear on what's going on in that time period. They say in this, and we're going to read this even today, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, what they did is they, God's people had moved away from moral absolutes. They had moved away from absolute truth, from absolute authority, and they had lost their moral compass. In America today, we need a moral and spiritual revival. Or we are destined to face the same fate as Israel faced in the book of Judges. We are destined to face the same fate as the empires of Rome and of Greece. And that fate is collapse. And I believe this fits well into the, the, the title of the thought process today. Because anytime a nation goes down and experiences the judgment of God, it happens in this, this order. Moral decay in the home. Moral decay in the church. And then moral decay as a nation. Can I just throw this out? And I know that for us that are in the church today... Can I, can I just, as the capital C church goes, the nation goes. And today, I, I want to give three thoughts today as, as we talk about what, what are some things that we need to, to accomplish? What are some things that, that we need to set our hearts on today? Let's read this passage in Judges chapter 17, verse 1. It says, There was a man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you on which you put a curse, even speaking the curse in my ears, here's the silver with me, I took it. Then his mother said, may the Lord bless my son. Then he returned the 1,100 silver coins to his mother. His mother said, I certainly consecrated the silver to the Lord for my son is to make a carved idol and a metal idol. So now I return it to you. Then he returned the silver to his mother. She took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith to make a carved idol and a metal idol. And they were put in the house of Micah. This man Micah owned a shrine. He made an ephod and household idols. And he hired one of his sons to be a priest for him. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Father, today I pray in this simple message that you would help us to grasp a hold of what you're trying to speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would just move in us, allow the Spirit of the Lord to come and touch us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about two, and then I'm going to backtrack, okay? So stay with me. I want to talk about actually three total, three things that will help us to bring God back into our country. The first thing is this, we have to fix my house. I've got to fix my house. 
Micah is not the prophet. This is not the prophet Micah that you're reading about here in Isaiah chapter, not Isaiah, but in Judges chapter 17. This is a, a guy who's a spoiled brat. And he also, his mother had saved some money, 1,100 shekels of silver, and he stole it from her. He stole the money from his mother. She didn't know who the thief was, and so what she did is she pronounced a curse on the person who stole it. Micah got a little concerned. He wasn't so much concerned about the fact that he, he wasn't scared that out of conviction, he was scared out of fear because he had heard that his mom had put a curse on the person who stole it. So he gives the money back. But I don't know if you picked up on this. Rather than scolding him, she blessed him. I don't know about how things happened in your house, but they didn't happen like that in my house. I remember I was like three or four years old and we went into this candy store and I really wanted a piece of gum. It was the most disgusting gum you've ever had. It was bazooka. <laughs> bazooka Joe. You remember the bazooka Joe? Bazooka Joe gum lasted about 10 seconds of flavor. And then it was just gone. It was, it, then it was just like chewing rubber. It was terrible. I, I, I remember that. But I wanted that little piece of Bazooka Joe bubblegum. And there was this big barrel by the cash register that had it. And so I asked my mom, I said, can I have a piece? And she said, no. The reason I remember this at such a young age is because of this. My mom wasn't looking. I took a piece of Bazooka Joe bubblegum. Put it in my pocket. We walked out the door. I got to the car and I'm chomping on Bazooka Joe bubblegum. My mom says, where'd you get that? I don't know. I'm telling you what, there was no, oh, it's okay. Let's, it, it, it'll be all right. There was no blessing me because I took in the piece of Bazooka Joe bubblegum. I'm telling you what, we've marched back into that store. And my mom made me tell the guy what I'd done. She paid for it. I think it was like five cents. She paid for the gum. But can I tell you, when I got home, there was more cursing than blessing. And I don't mean from the mouth. I'm talking about from the hind end. Mom didn't say much. She didn't have to. So when... This guy steals 1,100 shekels of silver. There's a problem in the structure of his family if his mom, when he returns that money, doesn't scold him, but she blesses him. There's an issue here. There's something that's wrong in this picture. She was so glad, in fact, to get the money back that she said she was going to dedicate it to the Lord, but what does she end up doing? She ends up giving him 200 shekels of silver to go do what? Make an idol. To go make an idol. Do you see the hypocrisy here? Do you see the double-mindedness here? Of course, if you would study the Scripture, the Bible strictly prohibits idolatry. This is how spiritually blind that they had become. 
they were far from removed from their worship of God alone, and they were thinking that they were doing a favor for God because they had dedicated a majority of it to Him, but yet a little bit of it they had held back and made idols out of. See where I'm going with this a little bit probably today. Micah had shelves full of idols. He was steeped in idolatry. It says that he had a, a shrine. And, and not only that, he appointed his son to become the priest. He didn't qualify. He wasn't part of the, the clan, of the priesthood clan. He just appointed him and said, you're going to be my priest. That wasn't God's way. And it was absolute confusion spiritually. And sadly... In all of this, here's the sad part about all of it. In the idols that they make, in the practice that they, that they did as far as not allowing people to uh, doing it God's way, they actually thought in all of it that they were serving God. And today, we have people who call themselves believers. We have people who call themselves Christians. And they're doing things that are completely against the Word of God. And they come and they just bring their thought processes. They've got idols in their life. They've got things that they have, have stored away. They're trying to do things their way, get to heaven their way. And God says, listen, that is not the way it works. It's my way or no way. So in this family, we have coveting, we have stealing, we have cursing, we have dishonoring of parents, we have idolatry, and God only knows what else. They are morally bankrupt. And if you would have gone to them and confronted them about it, they probably would have said, well, that's your opinion. But this is the way that we want to do it. Which gets us to the place of the text that we talked about. Everyone did what was right. In their own eyes. Can I just be honest today? This is where America is. Doing what's right in our own eyes. We don't have, we have, it's not that we don't have enough religion. We've got religion all the way up to our, our eyeballs. The problem is we have left the absolute authority of the Bible. We have left the standards of truth and morality. And we lack that biblical conviction to infiltrate our families and also in our lives. And we have come to the place where we have said, well, it works for me. It's good for me. You go do what you want to do. You go have your stuff. If that works for you, it works for you. And I'm talking about Capital C Church today, Church Universal. We've all kind of got different things that we put on the door and on the moniker. And we've got different stuff that we believe in. And we have all these different things. And what we've done is we've contemplated and we've infiltrated man's opinion of things. And we've forsaken the law and the word of God in the middle of it. And today, before we can ever have any kind of move of God, we have got to make sure that our family, that our way is, is, is working with the Lord, that our version of Christianity is what God intended it to be, that we love Him with all of our heart, that we follow His Word, that we never get away from, from what He wants in our life, that the relationship is what He covets. I think, how many of you know, you would never get away with that kind of relationship with your spouse? As many Christians, quote unquote, have with God today. Can I just throw that out there? 
He would never get away with that. If I saw my spouse once a week and I talked to her for a minute and all I did was tell her what I wanted, she's looking at me with that look right now. And I can tell you that ain't going to fly. And that's not building a relationship. And what's going to eventually happen is that relationship is going to deteriorate. If I had the same relationship with my kids, I wouldn't have that kind of close connection with them. It would be strained and probably, to say the least, wouldn't last. So why do we feel like it's okay to do God this way? Can I just say, parents are, are losing their kids because they're not setting the examples that God intended them to set. We want them to obey us, but we don't want to set that same standard in many lives. As the scripture text talked about today, it's this idea that his, his mother, uh, she was one who, who is, may the Lord bless my son. She is the one who has talked about the Lord and, and bringing him into the equation with her son. But in reality, she allowed other things to take place in her home that the son drove away. And these inconsistencies, they will be magnified in your kids. Just like Micah and his issues were magnified. His mom's issues were magnified in him. I've said it before. What we allow in moderation, our kids will abuse in excess. Let me tell you a story. There's a small Missouri town. It was a preacher's home. And there were two kids that were in this home. And, And these two boys, they found this dog. It, it was the most amazing dog. It was, it was a cute little thing. It was black and it had a white tail. And, and they just loved this dog. It was the most amazing dog. And they took it in and, and into their home and they were caring for it. Well, about three weeks came by and they met the new family that had moved in about four weeks ago. And, and they came looking around town because they had lost their dog, a little black dog with a white tail. Well, the pastor, their father took that dog and painted its white tail black so that it wouldn't have to give the dog away. Well, the neighbors came up and they said, is that our dog? It sure looks like our dog. And and the pastor said something like this, well, you know, it it looks like your dog, but I'm telling you what, that's a black tail, not a white tail, so it can't possibly be your dog. And he set a precedent in, in his home And you'll never guess who those sons were. Maybe you've heard the name of the most notorious criminals probably in U.S. history, Frank and Jesse James. Were his sons. Because of the compromise of the dad, it drove the sons to a place where they were away from doing things God's way. I read my devotional this week and something inside of it, man, just kicked my butt. And it's so true. And it says this, it says, Men, we are responsible for the spiritual progress of our home. I'm going to say that again. Men, we are responsible for the spiritual progress of our home, of our family. God has called us to be men of God that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when our kids start to stray, a man of God that can feel the spiritual atmosphere of his home knows how to love his wife. He knows how to put his arms around his kids and bring them back into the fold. 
He speaks truth. He lives truth. They model truth. That truth is God's Word. And it's time for us as people of our home, men of priests of your home, ladies as, as the helpmate that God's created us, it is time for us to get revival happening in our house. Before revival will ever happen in the church, before revival will ever happen in the nation, it has got to happen with us personally. Because if it doesn't happen here personally, I'll never be a part of something greater than me. It's my mantle of responsibility. I've got to run with that. I can't be lazy. I can't be apathetic. I can't sit idly by. I've got to be willing to lead in prayer with my family. At the table, in the car, by the bed, from the lazy boy, at the ball field. To make sure that my family hears God's word from me. To make sure that I'm growing in my walk with Jesus so that out of that, that I'm hearing Him and I'm listening to Him in my life. If we're going to bring the glory of God back to this country, it has more to do with my house than it does the White House. Secondly, not only is it my house, but it's also got to be the church house. I noticed here in, in verse 7 it, that uh, he, he appoints his son to be priest. And this was not his job. But then after that, there's a man that comes. If you continue to read in verse 7 through 13, there's a man who come and is a priest, but he hires him. In other words, he becomes a hireling. To say whatever Michael wants him to say and do whatever he wants him to do. He's got this feel good about religion kind of thing to it. And he proves himself because he has agreed to come just for the money. Do you know the difference between a real man of God and a hireling? A hireling is committed to the way of keeping his salary. Not the truth of God's word. The hireling tells people what they want to hear in order to draw a crowd and not to offend anybody. He's not called of God. He simply chose this as a career. I, I, I'm honestly believing that we need the people of God to rise up and be truth proclaimers, not hirelings. That we would proclaim God's word, preach the word uncompromised, there are very hot topics today that are politically incorrect to talk about, but I, I want to stop just for a minute. I saw this video this week. It's from a pastor. His name is Glenn Bertel. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. It's a church in California. He does evangelistic work. He said this, you can't pass a law that stops evil. You can't pass a law that stops evil. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, you cannot legislate morality. You can't legislate morality. Can, can I just throw this out? We don't have a gun problem. We have an evil problem. Amen. Last time I checked, it was against the law to murder somebody. We don't have a gun problem. We have an evil problem. 
If you're set on doing something like that, you're going to find any possible way to make that happen. People have used rocks. They've used airplanes. They've used uh, whatever means, vehicles, swords, knives, whatever to accomplish this. It wasn't so much the weapon. It was the evil that was in their heart. If we want to see a move of God happen and a revival to be brought back to a nation, we need to make sure that we become the shining example of what it means to love people and to love God first and love people. Those who take the Bible and not just hear it, but proclaim it. And most importantly, live out what it says. People who call themselves Christians, who fall in love with God and fall in love with Scripture. And start daily living out their life with passion and determination and commitment like never before. Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And seek my faith. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. What does he say? I will heal their land. I'll heal their land. If my people, we need families. We need to, to set the sta- standard of, of God. We need churches to come and, and to live that out. And then finally, today, we need people who grab, and this is kind of an overwhelming thing that I've talked about, an overview thing that I've kind of encouraged in this whole thing. It's got to be personal. As much as it is, I can't lead my family unless I personally have that relationship with Jesus. Unless I'm ongoing in my walk with God, I can never be the guy, the the father, the husband that God's called me to be in my home. Unless I'm willing to, to give my life and surrender it completely to Him. I've got to give Him everything. I love salvation. Do you remember the day you got saved? Some of you are like, man, I've been saved my whole life. That's a great testimony. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy for you. Some of us have not been. And I remember the day that I gave my heart to Jesus 100% totally. Now, that's not going to say I've lived a perfect life since then. But what I will say is this. I remember the day that that happened because it was the day that I made a decision that no matter what, it was me and God. That I was going to serve Him. I was going to go to the map for Him. I was going to do whatever I could because I recognized something. I recognized what He had done for me. I recognized the fact that He had taken His life and He had given His life so that I could live. He gave His life so that I could be free. So that I could have hope. So that I could be someone who experiences the love of God on a level that is so amazing and so awesome that it just blows your mind. If you've never experienced that, can I tell you today, God is real. He loves you. He wants you to experience Him on a personal, relational level that blows your mind. And I know today we all, we all agree to this fact that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. We preach that. We proclaim that. There's only one way that you can be saved. But can I tell you the benefits of serving God go way beyond just a reserved spot that I have in heaven. The benefits of serving God go way beyond just a, man, a little placard that I have on, my, on whatever room that God has for me. 
The privilege and the honor I get by serving God is the daily walk. It's the daily relationship. It's the daily connection with the Holy Spirit. It's God moving in my life on an everyday basis. That it's more than just one prayer that I pray, but it's a lifestyle that I live. And I'm telling you, church, if we will get to the place where we will fall in love, if you're here today and you have not accepted Christ in that way, where you have fallen in love with Jesus just because He loves you so much and He gave everything for you, then today I would not... If you're listening outside the park, you're listening in the park, I would not let today pass without making that decision. Because it is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. There are people all around this park today. As I, as I look around the room, uh, the, the area here, I know that there are people all around here who have tried so many different things. Some of you, I know what God saved you from. Some of you, I, I know the, the things that you used to do and, and, and the, the, the many things that used to come up in your life, the sin that you used to commit. But can I tell you, today you sit here free because you've given your heart to Christ. And it's not just that you're free from your sin. It's the relationship that God is doing in you. And I see it on your countenance. You see it on your face because Jesus is doing something amazing in your life. That's transformation. That's what it means to serve God and to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is to just give your life completely to Him. Salvation is free. It's a prayer that you pray. We're going to pray it here in a little while. But the thing with discipleship is this. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs you. And what does it cost me? I started to weigh out what it cost me. It cost me throwing up over a toilet. It cost me friends who were trying to drag me down. Didn't have my best interest at heart. For some of you, you're around here today and it costs you, your family a little bit, because they just don't understand. For some of you, it's cost you comfort. Some of you, it's cost you the life of someone. But today, I just want to assure you with this, no matter what this salvation experience has cost you, I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because what you get in replace of that is so much better. A walk with Jesus. The salvation of your soul. The heart that says, I've, I know what God can do in my life. There are times in my life, and there, as I look around, I also know that some of you have been through some difficult things. And I, I'm telling you, I know that just by your testimony alone, I've talked with you, your testimony alone, I would have never known what I've done if it not been for Jesus in my life. I don't know how I would have made it if it wasn't for God. Today, I just want to let you know that the hope of Christ is available to you. Here in just a moment, we're going to pray. I lost the rest of my notes anyway, so I'm done. 
My iPad said the temperature is too hot, and most of you would probably agree. And so today, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do something great. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I encourage you to pray this prayer. If you're here and, and that is something that you pray and, and you want to, if you've made that decision, and whether you are here, whether you're out and by us, we'll come down to the park. We've got plenty of food. Come down and join us. If you prayed this prayer in your minute from your heart, come down and join us. Come tell us what you've done. What an awesome testimony that would be. This morning we're going to pray this prayer, but we're not just going to stop there. This, I want to challenge some of us that are here around the circle today too. We do that today. Would you bow your heads? Father, today I pray that you would just move right now. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you're in this park, but you're also everywhere that the voice in this speaker carries. And right now, for those that are hearing my voice and underneath the sound of my voice today that don't have a relationship with God, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you draw them to a place of repentance? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed today, you're here and in the park, and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I need to make this decision. I need to make this decision to follow Christ today. I need to give him my all. I need to give him everything. I've been holding some things back. Been kind of living life the way I wanted to live. I had a judge's mentality, and what I mean by that is I'm just kind of done what's right in my own eyes. I haven't really gotten to God's word to find out what he says. I haven't really done the research to say what God wants me to live. I've just kind of done it my way. The more I read God's word, the more I understand that doing it your way won't get you to heaven. Doing it your way will not give you the relationship with God that you know you want and you need. And so today, if that's you and you say, you want, Pastor, I want, to, I want to commit my life to Christ. Or I want to recommit my life to Christ in this way. Would you slip up your hand right now? you pray this prayer with me. If you're listening outside the park and you can hear my voice, just pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about it. You can pray this prayer at any time in your life. Just mean it with your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you're saved. You start that relationship walk we talked about earlier with Jesus. So pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for second chances. Forgive me of my sins today, Lord. I'm so sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. And thank you for living again. And today I dedicate my life. I give my life to you today, Lord. I put it in your hands. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're here this morning. As I said earlier, the nation won't change unless it changes in our house first.
before it gets to the White House. It'll never change unless it changes in us before it gets there. God's called us to be men and women of God who proclaim the word of God boldly. As a church, that's what, did you know that that's what this day at the park's really all about? I mean, we don't like to come out here and sweat any more than the rest of you do. But it's about coming out here and, and, and proclaiming loudly who Jesus is. What he's done in us. That those who are in the village of Bible that can hear us and listen, this is an awesome opportunity for them to hear the truth of God's word. And today, that, that's why we do this. We, we come out to proclaim him because of what he's done in us. And today, I, I just want to challenge you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I, I need to take up that challenge a little bit more severe in my home. I need to take up that, that mantle a, a little bit more with more dedication. I, I need to be more mindful of what I'm doing in my home. I, I want to be purposeful in my activities, that I want them to be Christ-centered, that I want people to see Jesus in, in us, that, that I want my kids to, to see Jesus in me. I want my, my spouse to be the, the person that, I, that they sense the power and the presence of God in my life. You'd be here today and you said, Pastor, that's, that's what I want. Can I just be just brutally honest with you? My hand's up in the air because I want that in my life. Not just as a church, but I, I want my family to see Jesus in me. I want to conduct myself that's pleasing to his word. I want to do what God's called me to do and be the man of God that he's called me to be. What about you? Do you want to be the man of God that he wants you to be? Do you want to be the woman of God? The mother that is reaching out to her kids. The one that's not condoning lifestyles, but preaching truth. The one that says, as for me and my house, Joshua, before the book of Judges ever happened, Joshua makes this bold pro pro proclamation. He says this, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The problem was the rest of Israel didn't follow Joshua's lead. But I think if all of us unite together and we fix our house and we say, as for me and my house, devil, you're not welcome here. As for me and my family, Jesus is Lord of this place. I think that would change. It might change the whole culture of your home and the culture of your family. But today, if you're here and you want to make that proclamation, would you stand to your feet today as we close in prayer? I want Jesus to be the Lord of my house. God, you can use me. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God that you've called me to be. Hallelujah. And if that's you as we pray, would you just lift up your hands to heaven and say, God, that's me. I want to I be the one that you count on. I want a closer relationship with you. God, I want you to move in my life. I want you to do something great in my family. I want you, God, to do something great in me. Let revival start in my home, around a kitchen table, in a living room, in a bedroom with my family. Let revival start in a place in my heart and in my life, oh God. God, let it be.
we want to change, if we if we we talk about making America great again, and that's a slogan that our political people have used, but the only way that I see that that could ever happen is if we get to the place where we make you great again. So God, help us with that today. Help us to make you great. Make you great in our life. Make you great in our family. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come by, give God praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you thought it couldn't be done, but I preached a sermon in less than 30 minutes. Here in just a minute, we're going to eat over at the pavilion. We want you to stay and join us for lunch. It's going to be a great time. Take your lawn chairs over there. But before you move, before you move, hold on just a second. Before you move, I'm going to ask if we could allow those who are, are, are what we would consider seniors to go with us, to go first.